Uh, right now, I want us to put our hands together. Let's welcome up Pastor Myung-Wah as she uh, delivers the word. Good evening, everyone. Why don't we turn to our neighbors and say, Merry Christmas Eve through that. <laughs> Merry Christmas Eve. I feel really honored to be able to preach on Christmas Eve. It's my first time preaching on Christmas Eve service. Uh, and I didn't expect many people to come out actually, but I see quite a bit of people. So I honor you for being here and I'm glad you're here. And uh, I'm sure all of you guys know that this is not actually Jesus' birthday, the Christmas day, but it's a day to, yeah, it's not. <laughs> Surprise, it's not. It's a day to celebrate the birth of the Savior. That is true. So I want, really want us to keep that mindset. In Korea, Christmas day is for the couples to go on a hot date. Christmas is for the high school girls to gather together and have a sleepover, like I did for like 10 years. And it's like a day for like... Like all the pagan culture, you know, a good excuse to get drunk all night and things like that. But I want us to keep this day holy unto the Lord, worshiping Him, coming to the church, coming to Friday fire, <laughs> coming to the uh, Christmas service and things like that. Okay, so I'm really glad you're here. I want to start by talking about um, marriage because I like it, even though I've never been in one. Uh, I've observed that there are two kinds of married couples in my life. So when, it, you know, wedding anniversary comes, you know, every year there's a day that you got married and then the wedding anniversary comes and some couples think, uh, they think like this, oh, we were so in love 10 years ago. He was so hot back then. What happened to him? <laughs> you know, like my, my parents jokingly, they always talk about how they were madly in love when they first met in this club, dancing together, whatever. But then, you know, now they kind of like, oh. What happened to him? You know, my dad is kind of like bald, so my mom always says, oh, he used to have full head of hair. What happened to him? Sigh, you know, things like that. But like from that, I observe, I know they are joking, they are madly in love even now, but the climax of their relationship, marriage relationship was the beginning stage when they met together, when they got married and things like that. And they live on that memories of those like sweet days, you know? The first marriage that, you know, days of sugar and whatever, honey, okay? So there are th those couples. And, but then there are couples that their love and intimacy grow each day, each year. So there's one celebrity that I really love. If you know some Korean culture, K-pop and stuff, Sean from Jinu Sean. Um, he's awesome. And Sean put it this way. Um, and they not right now have like three children and they've been married for a while. And he said this in Korean. I translated. I remember the wedding day. You were stunning and beautiful. And I was so in love with you. So he's talking to his wife, okay? But I love you more and more as days go by. I love you more than yesterday. I will love you even more tomorrow. Okay, all the girls are like, ah, and then all the brothers are hating on him. Okay. And even John Piper, great author, great preacher, John Piper, John Piper also wrote, I translated it, I don't remember, I can't exactly remember, but he said, I, I, I thought my love for you was so insanely big when we got married. But now after 35 years with you, I see the love that I had for you then is so small compared to how much I love you right now. 
Oh, awesome, huh? So I probably butchered it here and there because I translated Korean into English back. So, but this is basically what he wrote, and you guys got the gist of it. And what kind of marriage relationship do you guys want? Like, I gave you two examples. Which one do you want to have? Number one? Anybody want number one? <laughs> what about number two? Number two. Yeah, number two sounds awesome, right? And which one do you want your relationship with Jesus to be like? Number one? Number two? How's your relationship with Jesus going? <laughs> Don't see number one, okay? So my first Christmas after meeting the Lord as a, you know, in a personal way, uh, my first Christmas was in 2005. So I got saved in 2005, uh, April, May, back then. And when I had my first Christmas with, with Christ, Christmas, Christmas, you know, with Christ, I was just so excited. I was in love with Him. And I don't know if you do this or not, but I kind of count Christmas like I count anniversaries. So this year, 2010, it's my sixth Christmas with Jesus after I got saved. And I think it's a really good season, end of the year, Christmas season. It's a really good season to think about your long-term relationship with the Lord. You know, it's easy to see, oh, this week my relationship with the Lord was good. Last week I was struggling a little bit. It's easy to see, but when it comes to bigger chunks of time, like this year, last year, or this season of my life and things like that, it takes some effort and time to really like discern what happened to you in terms of your relationship with the Lord, okay? And me being such a sanguine person, it's not easy to meditate on what happened and things like that. It's not easy. It, come, it doesn't come naturally to me. So I need to take time, usually Christmas season. I think about how my relationship with Jesus has been throughout the year. And compared to my Christmas 2009, I feel like, um, sadly, I feel like 2009 was a little more romantic than this year. <laughs> And I, I don't know, it could be just me. I don't feel like it's Christmas yet. And I kind of take time to just think about my relationship with the Lord. So how your relationship with the Lord this year? How has it been? Are you growing in intimacy with Him year by year, day by day, like the number two married couples? Or are you living on the memories of the first love when you first found Jesus? And is it getting cold? Is it growing cold? Think about that. Meditate on that. That's for free, like Dale said. That's for free. That's not the message tonight. But, all right. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm really honored to be speaking tonight. I asked some people, so what would you preach on if you had to preach at a Friday fire on Christmas Eve? I asked some people here and there. And then most of them, they, they answer, oh, baby Jesus, the birth of Jesus, uh, the magis, the, the, the guests coming, whatever, virgin birth, or things like that. So I decided not to preach on that, okay? So, <laughs> but I'm going to preach about boy Jesus, when Jesus was a boy, not a baby. Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, 41 to 52. Luke chapter 2. So there are very few things written in the Bible about Jesus' childhood when he was young. So most of the things are about uh, the, all the things, the four gospel books, and those are written about Jesus' public ministry, age from 30 to 33. 
Okay, but other than the concept of his birth and the virgin birth and things like that, the story, maybe this story, I think, is the only one that's written about his childhood experience. Okay, so we're going to read it all together. Luke chapter 2, 41 to 52. Let's see how Jesus was as a boy. Is everyone there? If you are there, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, let's start. We're going to take, I'm going to have, we have absolutely... Too many sisters and brothers. So let's just, uh, I'm gonna just take the odd number verses and you guys read the even number verses, okay? Let me start. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Oh no. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Amen. Oh, thank you so much for reading with me. Okay. I want uh, to uh, focus on certain things that's written by the author, okay? Uh, these things we easily skip over, we kind of miss on it, but these things are written so that the author can give us the full, like, full story of it, okay? So I want us to point out one thing. Feast of Passover. Everyone say that. Okay, what is the Passover? It's one of the biggest holidays in Jewish calendar. What is Passover about? It's the day to remember and celebrate the Israelites coming out of the slavery from Egypt. Does everyone get that? Does everyone got that? Okay, you need to know the Passover, okay? It's a very, very important day and many, many important uh, things happen on this day, okay? And another thing. 12 years old. Jesus was how, 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 how old was he? Yeah, he was 12 years old. It was a significant year of men's life in Jewish culture. So it's like the traditional age for initiation. That's the year, that's the age that you become a man, actual man, okay? So that's the beginning, like, stage of your adulthood. So in this story, Jesus was a boy, but he wasn't completely a boy. Okay, he was in the transition period. He was becoming a man, not a merely a boy. Okay, he just entered his adulthood. And that's something, you know, worth note. And verse 43, it says this. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. 
So how many of you know that you can lose Jesus for a day and might not know it? You could totally do that. I know some of you did it today. Oops, I'm being a mad offensive. I learned it from them. <laughs> anyway, some of you probably did it, all right? You might just lose Jesus along the way, and you might not even notice. Oh, maybe he's there. Maybe he's there. Maybe not. We could totally do that on our daily life. But usually, so uh, the travel from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it takes about three days. So it's like three days of walking, okay? And then when they travel, when they traveled, Okay, I can talk about that later, but let's move on. Back in those days, okay, oh man, I gotta talk about it now. When they traveled, they tra- traveled in big groups. So like a caravan, I found it in a dictionary, like a caravan, they traveled together. So children, women, and elderly people were in the middle group. So they divided the big group of relatives and the people into three, three groups. And then the leading group, and then the following group, the third group, the, those are men. Like growing up men so that they can protect the middle group, the women, the children, and then the elderly people. Okay? So, uh, Jesus' parents did not know that Jesus was missing because think about the father. Where's the father? Maybe in the leading group or the third group, right? And then he probably thought, oh, Jesus, he's 12. He should be with us, but maybe he's with the woman. He's with the children in the second group. Okay? That's pretty, you know, Reasonable guess. And then maybe mom was thinking, oh, Jesus, now that he's 12 years old, maybe he's with his dad on the leading group and maybe at the back with other guys, with other grown-up men. So they did not, it's pretty reasonable, but anyways, they did not know that they lost Jesus, that Jesus was still in Jerusalem, okay? Is everyone following me? Yes. And then, get this. Because... You are walking with the family members and acquaintances, the people that you know. Walking with the church people, hanging out with them every single night, coming to church on Sundays, and being surrounded with those people doesn't guarantee that you're walking with Jesus. All right, I'm getting this off. I don't know, man. (laughs) Anyways, that doesn't guarantee that you're walking with Jesus Christ. You might not have him in the group, and you might think that you are because you are surrounded with the church people. Think about that. You're walking with a bunch of church people, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is in that group. Get this, people, okay? And verse 46, another hint, another important part that we look over oftentimes. After three days, they found him in the temple. After three days, okay? Three signifies something important in the Bible. So one day, they were returning back to Nazareth, okay? One day spent, and they found out that Jesus was not there. So one day, they trekked back. They went back to Jerusalem. It took another day, and then the third day, they were searching for him in the city of Jerusalem. It took three days to find him. You can note that, okay? And verse 49, why were you looking for me? This is response from Jesus, to the parents who's been looking for him for three days. Wow, how rude, okay? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And verse 50, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. It's quite hard to understand. What do you mean, Jesus? We are, of course, looking for you because you are missing. You're a boy. But then they didn't understand what Jesus said. He says, so get the hint. I said three days, it was important. After the Passover, 
Passover, the timing, and Jesus, who just became an adult, was trying to give his parents a message through this incident. And verse 51 says that his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So Mary got it. So let me explain it for you, okay? Think about Mary's um, life after this. After this event, I'm pretty sure that Mary remembered this incident and they pretty much talked about it every single year whenever Passover came. Is that correct? If you lost your child on one Passover, you're going to talk about that whenever the holiday comes up. Remember when we lost Jesus in Jerusalem and we didn't even know that? And they probably talked about it every single year. And she remembered what his son told her. That didn't she know that I must be in the father's house? Right? And now she knows that his son Jesus would go to who? The father if he ever disappears again. If she got the message right. And about 20 years later, Jesus was 12, about 20, 21 years later, another Passover came. And then during the holiday, her son Jesus was crucified on the cross. And then he was locked up in the tomb and he disappeared. And guess what Mary was thinking? Same timing, similar thing happened 20 years ago. I know that he's with the Father. And people couldn't find him. Jesus disappeared. And I guess how many days after? Three days after, Mary knew that he will come back. They will find him on the earth again after three days. And Jesus was in the Father's house. So Jesus was a good son to his parents and also a good son to the Father God. And he knew at the age of 12, he was a young, young man, and at the age of 12 that he was the son of God, Jesus understood it. And also he knew that he will be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of many. And he was basically just giving the heads up to his parents. So when I first started to dig into the truth of the gospel, I was really confused, okay? So when I heard the gospel when I was 19, it was my first time ever listening to a gospel message. And I was confused because... My question was like this. So, Jesus was murdered by his own father. Huh? So, Father God killed his own son. huh? And how does that work? Loving God, killing, murdering his own son? So, Jesus didn't want to do it, but I guess he was forced to die then? That was my question, a lingering question in my head. Like, oh, it seems like he didn't want to do it, but he, it looks like he was forced. And his death on the cross seems so reluctant to me or or forced like jesus was forced to die that's the impression that i got and god just seems so cruel to his only son like how can you do that i felt just bad for jesus oh jesus poor one you know he was forced to die because of the bad father whatever you know but then the truth was as i learned um as i grew more in the truth and the wisdom I learned that the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they share the same perfect will. So they are in full harmony and full complete submission to each other. So if it's the will of the Father, it's the will of the Son, and also it's the will of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And their will and plans are eternally the same. They cannot be be in disagreement. And what brings joy to the Father brings joy to the Son as well, even though it might take some suffering. 
And what Jesus did, Holy Spirit's doing it right now. So they do the same work. And they have the same wrath, same pleasure. They share the same desires and same will. Because God is one. And they cannot be separated. The Trinity God shares the same will. So I realized, wow, Jesus' will was perfectly aligned to the Father's will. And he wasn't forced. He did, he did it willingly. And more than that, he did it willfully. Okay? And the cross was not an exception. He took the cross willfully and he, out of his obedience and also by his will. It took me a while to realize this. And he wasn't the victim of the family murder case, okay? And Jesus knew from the very beginning and from a very young age, like age of 12, even before, he knew that he was in agreement with the will of the Father. And he knew that he was going to do it. And knowing the suffering and also the glory awaiting for him in the future, Jesus just gave out a gentle heads up, Mom, I'm just giving you a head up, okay, to his parents, to Mary. And being a wise woman of God, Mary took it to her heart. It says she treasured up all those things in her heart. So she was able to be ready for that day. Okay. I want to give you another story, Genesis chapter 22. Let's go there quickly. Genesis chapter 22, very, very, very famous story. Quickly, I'm going to just summarize it. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, who was born through miracle. So go and give him as a burnt sacrifice to me. Okay, God tells him that. <laughs> and then Abraham goes to the mountain without hesitating. He goes, takes his son with him, and Isaac follows him. Daddy, where are you going? Okay, and where's the lamb for the sacrifice? He was like, he didn't, it sounds like he didn't know anything. And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb. So don't worry, son, follow me. And when they got there, Abraham ties his son up to the woods and brought up the knife. And he was about to bring down the knife on him, okay? Abraham, Abraham, the angel shows up. The voice of the angel comes and then the Lord stops him. Stop there. I know that you fear me now, and don't kill him. And then they find what? The ram that God provided. And then they finish up the burnt offering with the ram. So they kill the ram instead of Isaac. That's the gist of chapter 22. I'm moving my left hand a lot, right? So many people pointed this out, but I cannot stop. So bear with me. <laughs> so this story is usually preached from... Abraham's perspective. Is that right? So whenever I heard this message, it was all from Abraham's perspective. Wow, this miracle son. And now God is telling me to kill this son. And, you know, what an amazing obedience and blah, 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 blah. But then let's look at it from Isaac's perspective today. How old do you think Isaac was? 19. 19? Oh. Unexpected answers. Because I thought Isaac would be like a little boy. Like, Daddy, where is the, where's the lamb? Like, you know, like a little boy, like four or five years old. I don't, I don't know. Like, easy to kill. I mean, sounds weird, but <laughs> like, easy to handle, you know. It sounds like Isaac didn't know anything, okay. He, he just looks so helpless. I'm not saying I would have killed him, but yeah. But then, I, as I was studying the scripture, I figured that Isaac could have been a little older than what we thought. So the first clue, 
I'm telling you, wood sticks are heavy. Have you carried those before? <laughs> they are pretty heavy, especially when they're wet, especially when they are not, not dried properly. They're really heavy. And I'm pretty sure that Abraham was not an abusive father. So that tells me, that tells me that Isaac was old enough and strong enough to carry a heap of wood sticks, okay? So my guess, like, at least will be like, how old? Like, 12? 13? I mean, like, like, at the youngest, maybe 11, you know? Like, he was like a teenager, not like a four-year-old boy, okay? And another clue, verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, the young servants, the two servants, they came along with them. So he told them, stay here with the donkey, and uh, I and the boy, referring to Isaac, will go over there and worship and come again to you. So... You know, me being a seminary student who got A on Hebrew, okay? <laughs> I'm going to use some my Hebrew, okay? So, na'al. Everyone say na'al. <laughs> na'al is a word that was used. It meant two things, okay? Na'al meant young men or servants, okay? So, in this verse, verse 5, it says, Abraham said to his young men, young, those servants, that I and the boy, meaning his son, will go over there and then do whatever we need to do, okay? So, in my translation, if I translate it more logically, I will translate like this. Abraham said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, I and the young man will go and sacrifice. Do you guys get that? It both means servant and young man. And the author didn't, even though it's confusing, it was used, Na'al, the same word is used in the same, same sentence. It could be confusing, right? But author decided um, not to use a word like a boy or a child, but he used the word Na'al, which means young man. Do you guys get that? So I think, it, 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 you know, and the Na'al usually refers to someone older than a teenager, Okay, usually a teenager or like early 20s or something, okay? I don't think you will call someone like five years old a young man, okay? That could be, but, <laughs> you know? So from this, I also get an idea that, wow, he was like a teenager, like 12, 13, 14, somewhat older than what I thought him to be, okay? So he wasn't a helpless little boy. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Isaac was not like a little like helpless little toddler baby, okay? So now, do you still think Isaac was clueless when his father laid him on the wood and then tried to like, tried to like do something on him? You know, wow, daddy, what kind of new game is that? Let me play with it. You know, what do you think Isaac was doing? Isaac was just lying there. Bible doesn't tell me that he was trying to resist or run away or attack him back. He didn't do any of it. My Bible says, that, you know, Abraham was about to just kill him. And I think Isaac was totally able to resist somehow. He was strong enough, maybe stronger than his own father, because Abraham was pretty old, okay? 
So I see in Isaac willful obedience to his father. Whatever father is doing, he was just willingly ready to receive it, even though he was trying to kill him. So Isaac in his story, in this story, is known to be foreshadowing of the death of Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure you guys heard messages about it. And God provided at the end a ram in the place of Isaac. And after many, many, many years, God has provided his only begotten son as a Passover lamb for the forgiveness of the sin. And the son died a willful, intentional, prophecy-fulfilling death. He died that death. So he knew what he was doing. Even the Isaac and Abraham story, it tells us that Isaac had an idea of what was going on. And Isaac foreshadowing Jesus tells me that he died a willful, intentional, prophecy-fulfilling death at his own will. And brothers and sisters, John 15:13 it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. I believe a willful death is different than reluctant death. Amen? That's different. It means a lot to me. Someone who accidentally died for me and someone who planned it for eternity to die for me, it makes a big difference for me. An intentional death must be differentiated from the accidental death. And Jesus died an intentional death for me. In John 3.16, it says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus' will was perfectly aligned with the Father's, which enables me to paraphrase it this way. For Jesus so loved the world that he fully agreed to give his own life for these people. As I was meditating on this verse, um, you know, Jesus loved the world so much. As I was meditating on Jesus' death and just preparing for the message, uh, God brought back some memories from my high school days. And I totally, totally suppressed them. So I didn't even, you know, remember what exactly happened. But God just brought back some like, flashback memories from my high school days. And I just briefly want to share that. Um, I went to a foreign language high school. It's called Puyil Foreign Language High School. It's in Busan. And I entered the school on 2002, uh, the year of World Cup. 2002, I remember, um, I fell in love with the school. And the school, uh, before I entered, suffered a terrible tragedy uh, two years before I entered. So in year 2000, uh, they went on a a field trip. It's called Suhang Yaheng. It's like in the Korean uh, academic calendar, each high school, they send out like a like all the first graders or second graders to like a Soraksan to Jeju-do or somewhere nice, somewhere nice. And then they were on the trip, Suang-yaheng. And then the first graders went on the trip from my school, Puyil. And then on their way back to Busan, uh, one of the buses slid on the highway, highway, and then the gas tank exploded. And then all kinds of cars got involved, and then the bus caught on fire. So in the fire, um, the students, if you know anything about the Korean 관광 bus, like bus for traveling, there's only one door at the front. 
and then it's a long bus. And then in the smoke, in the fire, to make it through the front door, it's really hard. I can just imagine. So in the fire, they broke windows, and the students tried to get out of the bus, but then they uh, had to leave 13 of the classmates behind. So the fire was really vicious, and then they were burned to death, all of them, all 13 of the students. And then the sad thing was no one could recognize the dead bodies because they were burned really severely. Uh, and then when I entered the school, there were the third graders in our school. And then I, would, I didn't really know about this story. And I would see the seniors, the third graders, with burn marks all over their arms, even on their neck. And like there was a, like a senior who didn't have any hair, a girl, because it was all burned up back then. And uh, there was a student, uh, one of the senior students, uh, his name was Min Sung Lim. Uh, he was one of the students who passed away. Uh, and I heard from one of the seniors in the school that he got out of the bus really quickly. And then, but he went back into the bus to save his friends. And then being a 15, 16 years old boy, um, people tried to stop him, I guess, all the teachers. And they were like, Min Sung, don't go in. And then no one could stop him. He wouldn't listen. So he went back in. He saved some friends out. All the girls were fainted, and he brought some friends out. And then he, been ba he went back in, and then the ones were coming out again. And some people might say that it was stupid of him. It was an unwise decision, whatever. But I see brave love in him. Even though he was a young boy, I don't know if he was Christian or not, but I see the love that was described in the Bible. Like someone who can lay down his life for a friend. And when I was... I'm sorry. <clears throat> when I was the first grader in 2002, um, they had this um, third and last commemoration ceremony at school, just to remember them, just to commemorate them. And it was a sunny summer day. It was really, really like blue sky. It was an awesome day. And then as soon as we gathered in the gym uh, where all the pictures were lined up, you know, where you devote the flowers and stuff. As soon as all the students gathered, it completely got dark over a second. It was like a night. All the lights were like gone. And then it started to rain, like pouring, pouring rain. And all the families and the students were crying in the gym. And I, I wasn't even Christian, but I knew that heaven was crying with us over them. Like, they, I felt like this must happen, like, this shouldn't happen again. Like, I just felt such a sorrow, and I just knew that heaven was crying over them. And right after ceremony, when we had to come out of the gym, rain stopped immediately. It was like pouring rain at a moment, and the next moment it just stopped. And then the, 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 the clouds were moving so quickly. We knew like, wow, this is something mysterious, you know? We were like, wow, something's really happening, you know? We were all... We could all tell. And I met his younger sister, the brother that I talked about, the guy, uh, Min, Min Sung. His younger sister I met, uh, his younger sister, I, we became friends. Um, he's same age with me, and her brother was same age with my brother. And she actually entered the same school that his brother went to, which is my school. He entered Puil with just one purpose. This is the point that I'm trying to make, okay? 
She said that she wanted to see what her brother loved so much to even die for. That was her only purpose. That's what she said. Like, I just want to see what my brother loved so much that he just had to die for it. Um, and she told me also that she wanted to continue to love what his brother uh, couldn't finish loving. He said, I want to continue to love what his brother, Min Sung, died for after him. I want to meet those people that he loved. I want to just continue on loving because he couldn't finish it. And I don't remember what I said, but I remember just crying with her, crying with her. And as I was reminded of this, I forgot about this for many, many years, honestly. It really struck me. Wow. I want to know what Jesus loved so much to die for. Uh, he loved the world, it says. He loved the church. He loves you and he loves me. And then that's what he died for. And I was like, God, I want to love what you died for. Really. And I'm going to love on this broken world because you died for this world because you loved it so much. And I'm going to love my brothers and sisters even more. I'm going to love Marcus more. <laughs> you know, I'm going to love Mi Jung Won more. I'm going to love them more because that's who you died for. And I'm going to love my own life as well. I'm going to love my calling. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to love him more because I'm the one who you died for. And my message tonight is really simple. And I was like crying down there as I was trying to write this up. But yeah, Jesus died a willful, intentional, prophecy-fulfilling death. And I have no doubt about it. And it was never forced by the Father, but the Son's will was in perfect agreement with the Father's. And I know that. And he died because he loved you and me. And I want to just challenge all of us to see that love, to understand that love, and also continue that love that Jesus couldn't finish on this world. And I really want us to be challenged through just tonight by my sharing that, just to remember what Jesus died for. And we have calling to love it the same way that Jesus did. Um, Yeah, that's it. It's as simple as that. And yeah, why don't we all bow our heads and pray? Uh, I titled tonight's message like this, uh, Jesus knew what he was doing. (laughs) It really means a lot to me that Jesus knew that he was dying for me. He was doing it intentionally. He was willfully doing it. He was in agreement, perfect agreement in it. And I'm really happy and honored to be the ones, you know, to be part of the church that received the grace. And I often in my prayer ask him, God, oh, Jesus, why did you die for someone like me? Like, why did you die for someone like me? Like, it's a mystery. I, I often tell him, but he says, don't worry, I knew what I was doing. That's the typical response that I get from him. Don't worry, I knew what I was doing. And I feel like God is speaking that over you as well. Um, I feel like tonight, God wants you to love yourself like he did. 
I'm not telling you to be selfish or self-seeking or anything, but seeing yourself with the eyes of Jesus, treating yourself with the words that God has put in, your, put in you, and also forgiving yourself with the compassion that Jesus had for you and loving yourself as he loved you. Um, why don't we just ask the Lord to show his love for ourselves? Jesus, tell me how you loved me, how much you loved me, and how big that love was for me. And I just want us to meditate on the intentional, that intentional love that Jesus chose to die for you. I want us to just remember the Savior, the Lord, and his love for us. Why don't we just begin from that point? Um, Feel his love for you first. Feel his love for you first. Can we get some music?